welcome to Uplifting Impact. I am so excited to be here today with Jessica Hope. She is a diversity and inclusion strategist for USAA, where she develops holistic, data-driven strategies that advocate for people, marginalized populations, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a whole host of other amazing things. It's really fascinating to understand what Jessica does because she brings together her practices and her experiences as being a senior people leader in the Army Reserves, also her master's in leadership, culture, resiliency, and wellness, and the work that she's done in local government. She has actually worked extensively in local government in Houston, Texas, really focusing on how to bring medical services and educational support to low-income families and reduce economic disparity. She does all kinds of amazing, awesome things. I have to tell everybody out there who's listening, the first time that Jessica and I had a conversation, we were supposed to talk for like 20 minutes. A little bit over an hour later, we realized that we had totally missed our next meetings and we were <laughs> we were so engaged um, in talking about the things that we were doing and the things that we were passionate about. So I'm just excited that she's going to be able to be here to share a little bit of her background and some of the things that she's working on. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. I'm so excited, Deanna. Yes. So one of the things that I wanted to just jump right in, because we don't have a whole hour plus like we did the last time. Um, but one of the things I wanted to ask you right away is to really talk about one of the strategies that I know you're great at. And it's the strategy of being able to use the tool of storytelling to really get at some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion work that you do. So could you just tell me a, a, a little bit about how your own story helps you in, in your work and how you use that tool? Yes, I have stories for days. I think in my life, when I was three, I was adopted by a Puerto Rican family, and that has been marvelous. My dad is fantastic, and they taught me the culture of their ways of being. As a female in military service, there's several of us share stories about how we can be a part of the leadership in the organization and really make a difference and serve our country in a productive way. And I find that stories are just a great way to bring it down to a personal level and make it a human to human contact in diversity and inclusion. And we want to pull with those empathy strings for those that are not quite on board with the BNI journey yet. Absolutely. So one of the things that we always tell people is that everybody has some kind of an autobiography when it comes to diversity what their own experiences were when they were growing up, what they were exposed to, what they've learned, what they've gone out and sought, you know, on their own. How do you help people? Because a lot of people will, you know, be like, oh, I don't though. I, you know, I'm not a person of color or I didn't grow up in a, in a Puerto Rican family or I didn't whatever, fill in the blank. How do you help draw uh, out people's stories, even when they might not think that they have a racial like autobiography or a diversity autobiography? I love this question because it really talks to the individualism, which is really the story of diversity and inclusion. So if someone doesn't think they're diverse or someone doesn't think they have a part to play and they're just on the ally side, for example, when I'm talking to men, I'll ask them about their wives, their sisters, their mothers, their daughters. If I'm talking to any other demography, or I'll ask them about their employees, the people that they have grew up with and see if those things are different. I've often heard from military families that they've been discriminated against serving in America and other countries. And that's an end for me there because 
they were just American in another country and still felt discrimination. They weren't beat up because of the color of their skin. They were beat up with the person next to them that was also American. And so it's just finding that way to make it applicable to them. Absolutely. And I think that's important, right? The empathy strings. And one of the things I love about what you just said is that you use a lot of questions. You use a lot of questions to help people kind of narrate back to you what their own experiences are, because then that allows for you as a practitioner to really think thoughtfully about how do I engage with this person? How do I, how do I help move them? How do I help move them forward? And and too often we skip that step. And so we come at people assuming that they want to hear things the way that we want to hear things, as opposed to being able to help them understand things in the way that they might see them. So, okay you've brought up that you were a vet, right? And that you've had, you've had uh, experience serving our country. So first, let me say thank you uh, for, for that. Uh, Thank you for all the people that, that you represent in that capacity. You know, one of the things that I think sometimes we struggle with, and I think you have a very unique lens on this is we struggle with what is the role or what isn't the role of political leaders in our diversity, equity, and inclusion work? And for the for the for the audience, full disclosure, we are talking today on January 20th, which is um, inauguration. This is the day we're taping, is is inauguration day. And so this is top of mind for, for both of us. So as we look forward, what is it that we would hope uh, or how or what ways have you seen um, political leaders really take a significant role in the DEI space? Thank you. This has really changed in the last few years with there being an intolerance to discrimination. And I think that's a great thing. Our leaders have a responsibility to show us what good looks like and show us that we can continue to learn and be better in this space. And I think that um, the current leadership that's coming on board and some of the leaderships that are um, still standing that are here have done great in that space. One example for me working at USA is Maxine Waters of the Financial Services Committee. She's doing a lot of work around economic disparity and how that impacts communities whenever we look at the demographies for economics. That's really fascinating. Can you tell me a little bit more about like your relationship there and um, and what that work, because for some people, you know, when we think about disparities, I think we often think about like racial disparities or gender disparities, but sometimes people don't necessarily have economic disparities as one of their, as one of the things they think about when they're, when they're thinking about what's going on. So help us understand, first of all, what is economic disparity, what you mean by that? And then, you know, what, what exactly is happening? What, what are you all doing? Economic disparity, to describe it pretty quickly, is to show if you take families and you compare them across generations and you look at the race or gender of those people, you can see disparities in how much they're making, how much familial wealth they're passing on from one generation to the other. This has hit us especially hard in COVID because we know that people of color are dying and being hospitalized at a higher rate. They're more likely to be unemployed and less likely to be able to work from home. So that's impacting more than ever before this discussion about racial um, economic disparity. Over the past three decades, it has risen and we've seen a deeper divide between races and how they're doing with money, their monetary decisions. So one of the things Maxine Water is doing is she's holding financial institutions accountable for their work in the community through, called the Community Reinvestment Act. And she's saying, hey, not only do you need to work in your community, but you need to have people that look like your community working at your financial institution. So you can have diversity at your 
business to help make these decisions. And this is one of the things that you and I got on a, a very long conversation about the last time that we chatted, because there are a number of things that USAA is doing specifically with this Community Reinvestment Act and, and how you are deploying it, because people are doing it in different ways. So what are some examples of some of the things that you've seen work that you feel like other communities could learn from or things that you're just really excited you know, that you're participating in? So our community and our membership is military driven. And so the military is one of the most diverse organizations in the world, the United States military. So just by nature of meeting the needs of service members and their families, they're already meeting a quite of a bit diverse community. So our company chose to dedicate and commit $50 million towards racial equity practices. And we have, as of this conversation, given about $15 million towards that. And we also have a full-time person working with PricewaterhouseCoopers CEO Action Plan on racial disparities on the Hill and racial justice. So I'm really excited to see there's hundreds of companies that have given an individual for that to do that full-time. And I'm excited to see what they do. And, and tell us a little bit about that plan. I'm, I'm really familiar with it. I know there's you know tons of companies that have signed onto it, but it might be new for some people. Could you just share a little bit, a little bit of context there? So PwC, PricewaterhouseCooper, is one of the leaders in diversity inclusion on how they perform as a company. And we partner with them as USAA. And we gave to this movement um, since George Floyd's death about justice in our world, whether that's prison reform or legal reviews for laws or economic disparities and how that is impacting certain demographics differently. Excellent. So it's interesting, right? Because we just talked about a couple of different things. We talked about what the company is doing. We talked about what organizations are doing, like an associate, I would call it kind of an association of, of corporations are doing. We talked about it from a political standpoint. And we also talked about, you know, this work from an individual standpoint. One of the things that can, can happen, at least I know this in, in the work that we do and in the consulting work that the space that we do, especially is that you can come up against so, those are huge stakeholder groups. They're coming from so many different, you know, spaces, so many different lenses on, on this work. When you have all of those differing kind of ideas and, and perspectives and, and backgrounds, what is it that you do, Jessica? Like, what is your favorite go-to tool to try and um, navigate through those differences and, and bring people to a place where you can have, you know, effective, not just dialogue, but also action. Thank you. So as a social worker, a common saying that we have is meet people where they are and not where you think they should be. And I've really taken that into this work because we are in this space and desensitized and we're learning, learning, learning all the time. But the majority of people are not. They're doing their day-to-day. They're already in college. They can't read one more article and they have things going on. And so If I really say that I want someone to intrinsically feel about this work and move in this work and be an ally and be a voice in this work, I have to be willing to accept them where they are on the spectrum of this, no matter where it is, even if it's a place of negativity, and just have a conversation with them about where they are. And the second part of that is when I have that acceptance is not creating intolerance for intolerance. That's not going to do anything here. It's not going to help us. If you heard 
the Reverend give his speech at the inauguration, he talked about love for love and that we will not move forward in this space if we do not love each other through it. And I really believe that it's been one of my guiding principles. And the most important thing to me is, are we checking the block here or are we actually making a difference and changing how we're being and what we're doing? Or are we just doing a lot of busy work? And that's an organizational question as much of an individual question. Yeah, that's one that's uh, can really get at the heart of, I think, a lot of the most, the, the biggest challenges that we see, especially, you know, when we're supporting organizations. So this, you know, idea of loving through this process is a theme that comes up quite a bit on this podcast. This idea that we have to find our way through this, but we have to bring love uh, along with us. And that's not normally what you hear from somebody in the financial field. And that's not normally, <laughs> what, you know, something that you hear on a business podcast. And that's not right. That's a, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, but I do think that it's incredibly important. And the fact that it just comes up naturally as a theme over and over again here is, is really important. I think one of the biggest challenges that we are going to have as a country, right? Given all of the things that are happening right now as a world, I mean, not just as a country, as as a world, one of the big things that we're going to have to figure out is what does that really look like? Because it's easy to show love when people look like you, have the same ideals as you, have the same viewpoints as you, you know, kind of march to to the same beat that you might but it's much, much more difficult to do it, to, to show that kind of love and compassion when you might be feel like you're on polar opposites from you know the way that somebody else views or perceives or perceives the world. So I don't know, much have a question there as much as I just wanted to <laughs> point that out, right? That that's I think that that's a real turning point for us, and, and I think it'll matter, you know. And I, I I feel very strongly that diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders and people who know that who understand that are going to be the ones who get us to the other side, right? To get us. I agree. And I even think our younger generation is teaching us some stuff. Um, Thank you, Brene Brown, for the power of vulnerability and how to talk openly about how to be vulnerable at work and in your relationships and for the health of yourself, because they're really listening to this and they want to see change. And it might not only be our leaders. It's going to be the younger generation who is already demanding quite a different life than what we saw our parents have. Instead of being tied to work, they want to um, have time for themselves and family. They don't want to work to live. They want to live and then have some work. Right. Oh, when I talk about leaders, I'm always talking about young people first. So make no <laughs> make no mistake no mistake about it. Right. That uh, that they they have a, a different way, and it's it's about how do we encourage their vision of the world so that so that it, it can become a reality. I, I feel like our role is behind them, not in front of them. We had our chance. We did all right, but you know, obviously not. We didn't get everything we needed to get We're done. not old yet. <laughs> we, still have a long, we still have a lot to give. You know what? I'm going to receive that and, <laughs> and believe that also. So as we kind of, you know, wrap up here, one, one final question lots of leaders here, lots of different places, lots of people who have a lot of love and respect, you know, for our vets. As you think about kind of the veteran community, 
what are some things that, you know, companies should be considering because you're seeing them in, in the financial spaces, but you're also interacting with them and you know how, you know, things are, are happening in other sectors. What are some things that you would encourage people, you know, to be pulling into their, into their practices to make sure that vets are really feeling included too? That is a great question. And this is, um, I do a lot of volunteer work with veterans transitioning. And I think the biggest struggle that we see is that companies are not valuing the leadership that someone receives in the military to be equivalent to what a civilian leader would be considered. And so that I think is where they can really look at the most and have some flexibility about what it means to be a leader. And there's also a racial disparity in veterans getting out and how much they make whenever they leave service. So that's a great question that ties into what we're talking about today. And there are so many resources. If anyone wants to talk about this, I'll talk about it all day. Well, that's fantastic. So if somebody wants to talk about it, and I know somebody wants to talk about it, what do they do, Jessica, to connect with you? I'm on LinkedIn at Jessica Hope, and that's a W People Leader. Fantastic. So we'll make sure that we put your link in the show notes, but I just, I just want to say one thing about, you know, what, what you were just saying about evaluating leadership and how we think about that. One of the things that I see all of the time is that we have really antiquated criteria for many of the things that we are looking to fulfill, right? Like roles that we're looking to fulfill. And that's one of the perfect examples. People will say, you have to have three to five years in corporate experience. And then you have somebody who comes out of the military and you're like, oh, but you, you don't have three to five years. And they're like, I was in court. I have corporate 15 years of corporate experience of one of the biggest corporations, right. That you could think of. So, but, but that you're right. It doesn't translate the same. And because sometimes that antiquated like language or, or whatever gets in the way, we can't see past it. So I didn't want to leave without just highlighting that point again, that it's, mm-hmm. it's with, you know, veterans, it's across a lot of different things, but I have also seen that a lot where people are not translating information and thinking about the different populations who might have the same skills or even more skills than what you're used to, to being able to, but you're not, you're not articulating your need and you're not articulating your expectations and you're not using your, your ability to kind of see you know, and, and decipher whether or not somebody can fit, you're, you're not using that scope in the right, in the right way. And that's a really easy way to, to get stuck, but it's also an easy thing to fix if you're, if you're aware of it. Um, so, so thank you for that point. And thank you for being on the show today. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dion. Absolutely. And for all the work that you do, I don't know where she finds the time, but she volunteers for all kinds of amazing organizations support. I mean, if you really want to see what like a a purposeful hustler looks like, and you really want to see, you know, somebody who cares deeply about this work, I would, I would highly encourage you to follow her. You'll, you'll be blown away and, and just inspired. I know that I am so glad to have you on the show. Thank you, everybody who took the time to be with us here today. Thank you for for tuning in. Of course, we want you to tell your friends. We want you to share the show, send links around, post about it, because we believe that the more people who have the opportunity to hear these kinds of conversations, to think about things maybe in a different kind of way, the more impact we can have on the world, the more we can support those young people that we that we talked about in our podcast today. So we ask you to go ahead and do that because we know that when we do that together, we can really uplift impact. So thank you for being here with us and we hope uh, to be with you again soon. Goodbye. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.